man. <laughs> yeah. And the Wasp Quantumania. Yes. Welcome to Bomb Squad Movie Night, episode number. We're gonna go with 108, and if I'm wrong, uh, Austin will dump me over with my uh, non-Union Russian equivalent. And that's why we're talking about uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. I am your host and master of ceremony, Tanner Richard Craft, and with me I have. Hi, I'm gay actor Michael Douglas. I am ungodly tired right now. And we have a very special guest joining the show for the first time. Hi, I'm Catherine Newton, here to replace Emma Furman for no reason. Well, uh, uh, Catherine Newton, do you have anything you want to plug before we get started? I don't have anything to plug, no. Uh, but that's right, we're talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, a movie about a guy that becomes a little guy. So in that vein, my opening warm-up question for us is, what's your favorite movie about a little guy? Austin, we'll start with you. Well, for me, no question, it's got to be the 1989 Rowdy Harrington film Roadhouse. You know, I thought you'd be bigger. Yeah, and I thought you'd be bigger. (laughs) You know, for that line of work, I thought you'd be bigger. Of course, though, you mean, like, real tiny people and not Tom Cruise tiny people. So, (laughs) in earnest, I'm going with the film that your stoner friend showed you in high school, Fantastic Planet. That 1973 fever dream features a plot about tiny humans in a, a strange, psychedelic world. Not unlike today's movie. And it's about them trying to get these tall, blue aliens to stop treating them like insects. If you or a loved one is a short king who feels like they're being systemically oppressed by big smurfs who meditate in order to breed, this is the perfect movie for you. Uh, That happens to me every other Tuesday. Joe, how about you? Favorite movie about a little guy or little guys? So my pick is the one clip of the amoebas in that one episode of The Simpsons. I'm just kidding. My actual answer is I'm going to cheat just a little bit, but they are a tiny person. My pick is going to be Eraserhead because a lot of the stuff that's the most memorable in Eraserhead, other than that fucking baby, is the lady in the radiator, and she is a little person, and I think that counts. If you think you're cheating with that, just you wait. Amelia, how about you? Your favorite movie about a little guy, guys, or guysin'? Uh, yeah, so just like Joe, I'm actually going to have a movie about a little girl, as in a tiny girl. Uh, my favorite would probably be Secret World of Arietti, uh, yes! the, uh, the animated film. Its visuals are just stunning. The world building is incredible, and the character work is just phenomenal throughout the entire film. Hmm. So what I'm trying to say, if there was any doubt... There's a new bean in the house. What? I know, I saw him. The voice acting uh, leaves a little bit to be desired, but honestly, that movie was such an important uh, film for me growing up. I cannot pass up the opportunity to bring it into the light. So uh, I'm the one who came up with this uh, question. Therefore, I'm allowed to decide what answers count. And uh, I'm stretching the definition a little bit here, but little is literally in the title of the movie. Uh, So my answer to this question is the 2019 Greta Gerwig movie, Little Women. Oh, I thought you were going to say Stuart Little. (laughs) I also thought it would be Stuart Little. Well, that is, that's actually, that is a little guy though. That's not even cheating. I'm out. Joe actually left. We need the little the little hook that comes off stage to get Joe back. Right. I wish to propose the admission of a new member. One who would be deeply, deeply grateful. And his name is John C. 
Uh, Little Women is my favorite Greta Gerwig movie. It was one of my favorite movies of 2019. It's my favorite adaptation of Little Women, a book I've read and actually quite enjoy. What more can be said about Little Women that I haven't already said in our uh, Thor Love and Thunder podcast? So we'll be moving on. So we'll be talking about a movie that features a guy that turns into a little guy. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, the second rotten MCU movie. Oh, shit. They're not on a good streak right now, guys. But are we going against the grain here? And do we like it? Do we hate it? Or are we all individual people with our own thoughts and feelings? We're going to find out by starting with Joe. No, it's fine. All right, moving on. We're going to move on to Oz. No, I'm kidding, Joe. Go ahead. Tara and I went and saw this together at uh, the IMAX in Chesterfield. Opening night, baby. Yeah, we went and saw it in IMAX, opening night. Tanner bought the goddamn Ant-Man head popcorn thing. There it is. Look at it. It's beautiful. Anyway. This is about um, as coherent as the movie. Yeah, the movie's fine. I honestly wish I could remember most of it, which is, like, it's honestly kind of the biggest criticism of the movie. It's this fantastical journey in, like, the microverse, the quantum realm, like, all this interesting, weird shit supposed to be going on, and I don't remember a lot of it. It looked nice. There's a lot of interesting stuff in it. I wish that they explored it a bit more, but it was kind of fun. So, what's it gonna be? Fucking dumbass. We stand Modoc in this house. Modoc was the most fun thing about this movie, and people complaining about the CGI on him need to shut the fuck up. It's a giant goddamn head. What more do you want? If it looks fake, that's fine. It's not supposed to look real. If it looked real, it would be ungodly creepy. The only thing that would have made it even better if it was like a Jim Henson company style puppet, but that's a completely different discussion. Performances were passable. It's nice seeing Catherine Newton come this far from uh, Paranormal Activity 4 and like all that shit, but my fucking god, uh, she's probably the weakest link of it. She's trying. I'd say give her some more films after this, but there's some line deliveries in this that I think are a bit flat. Overall, it's it was fine. I just wish I remembered more of it. Back to you, Tanner. I'm not Tanner. I'm uh, actor Paul Rudd here to tell you you should see my new movie, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I mean, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Before I forget one thing, Jonathan Major's best part of the movie. I am still Paul Rudd, and when it comes to Jonathan Majors, I have one word. Wood. Austin, what did you think of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? From what I understand, it ruins your bloodline? You all remember seeing No Way Home a while back. The cinematography and pacing of everything that happens before he meets Doctor Strange, right? How the movie just looked insane for the first 15 minutes. Similar thing happened to me here. For a small period before Ant-Fam was sucked into the back rooms, I thought, man... These Ant-Man movies always find a way to get me back, even though I forget about these things between installments. I was so excited to see Marvel depicting an activist character who's not randomly, like, blowing up innocent people because the screenwriters had to give them Killmonger Syndrome to appease their conservative fan base. Right, the classic kick the dog. It was so nice. It's just like, oh, I'm at a peaceful protest and the cops arrest me. It's, like, based. Gordon Gecko, Catwoman, and Kate from Lost were there, and I was totally 
game to watch these five people shoot the shit for two hours while fighting fractal spiders or whatever. Then the second act of the movie starts 15 minutes in and goes on for an hour and 10 minutes. And my night devolved to the point where on my way home from the theater, I kind of felt like I just forced my husband to watch a Bayformers movie or something. Although weirdly enough, the big CGI showdown at the end actually woke me up a little, which is the opposite of what normally happens to me with a Marvel picture. I don't think it was because any, anything extremely remarkable happened during the climax. I think the middle of the movie was just unusually dull. And some of this agitation is bound to be influenced by like expectations and context. Wakanda Forever tricked me into raising my expectations for quality a little again. It's soldiers. They don't call him general or king. They called him Kukul Khan. And that odd decision to switch to phase five with nary a crossover event made me wonder if like this movie was going to be special somehow. But this movie was plastered with wall to wall phase four rod goofy nonsense. A few examples like somebody pointed out to me, Michelle Pfeiffer's character insists on not telling anybody her backstory, even when they're in the shit. And when that part of the movie came up, there's like three separate scenes of her just going Going, no can do bucko let's play the quiet game uh, and that was absolutely baffling from a screenwriting perspective why didn't they just separate her from the others after the inciting incident then we could have gotten to see Michael Douglas hanging out with sentient ants there are instances in here where I feel like super minor changes to the screenplay would have benefited the film tremendously for instance less jokes about holes and more world building pertaining to these creatures who live in the land between space and time maybe but no every character except Kang was basically the glup shit meme doing strange planet riffs. <laughs> Even the look of the film, the $200 million worth of painstakingly designed CGI backgrounds, felt like it makes for good desktop wallpapers, but a busy, kind of obnoxious environment to set a motion picture in. Maybe they needed to interact with the weird structures up close for the effects to land, but this was partially filmed in the volume, rendering it less Doctor Strange 1 and more Spy Kids 3D. So yeah, I just didn't vibe with this at any level, save for Jonathan Majors, which everyone everywhere has been saying. But then that first post credit scene popped up and yanked that away from me too. So I walked out of this pretty annoyed. Wish it was better. I've had good times with Ant-Man. I've had good times with the MCU. Who knows what went wrong behind the scenes. Hopefully they can course correct and improve their shrinking hits to misses ratio. But for now, Quantumania was exhausting. Are you telling me you didn't like the Kang Gangbang? Of course I love the Kang Gangbang. What do you take me for, a charlatan? I am going to bring this up in general discussion, but I am just going to say this. Austin, your complaint is with the screenplay. A lot of people's complaints are with the screenplay. Maybe you don't bring in the guy whose only experience is writing a couple episodes of Rick and Morty to make your big budget $200 million movie. Amelia, what did you think of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? Right. So, um, personally, I felt like it was somewhat of a middle ground film. It didn't completely fail. There were lots of good aspects to it that I think just felt short of what my expectations were. A lot like what was said previously, you know, all of the actors, I felt like they didn't really have a specific motivation in this film. So many lines just fell flat for me, particularly Michelle Pfeiffer's character. Not only do I feel like it was weird that they had her constantly shut everybody out, but um, when it what came to her subplot, it just didn't make sense. I found myself questioning why there were random characters that just knew her, but when we see her in her backstory scenes, she's always, always alone. And there was no explanation for that. 
even at the end of the film, when they did actually describe her backstory, the only person we see her interact with is still Jonathan Majors Kang. Mm -hmm. And that's great. I wanted that dynamic, but I wanted more of that dynamic with the other people who also described knowing him. I feel like they originally wanted to have a whole big arc in the middle where it was really boring, where they could actually go back with Michelle Pfeiffer and like we saw her whole growth and progression in the quantum realm with these characters as an explanation of what happened and like how maybe she left and betrayed them, right? Like something that just was huge that happened right before they rescued her. That would have been enough for me to justify the blah rest of the plots. The like the B plot and the A plot just felt like they were dragging on to try and fill the space. I also think there was not enough Michael Douglas in this film. I think he's shown beyond everybody else other than Jonathan Majors and Paul Rudd. I think he was definitely the standout uh, acting wise. And they really only give him about 20 minutes of screen time. Maybe it's really disheartening because he'd been a huge part of the previous two films as one of the characters that you could rely on. And he is the original Ant-Man. And they do give him that really nice part of the third and final act where he leads the ants in, but it would have been really great to go see him actually interact with his ants and then lead them in. It just felt like it was a deus ex machina when it could have been a triumphant charge. I also have pretty mixed feelings about Catherine Newton. I think as far as the issue with her replacing Emma Furman, I think both of them would have done about the same level of job. They're both young actresses, don't have a lot of experience in big budget films. Dad, a guy dressed like a bee tried to kill me in my room when I was six. I've never had a normal life. Emma Furman was Cassie Lang in Endgame. She got about 20 seconds of screen time, but she's been in other lead roles in other films, but they're smaller. And Catherine Newton has Detective Pikachu. That's pretty much it. A lot of people like that Freaky Friday thing movie she was in with Vince Vaughn. Oh, Freaky? Yeah, I think that's her, isn't it? Yeah, she plays Millie. Yeah. She was in that. Um, And that that was relatively good, I think. I learned something when I was in your body, too. What's that? Having balls sucks. I do still feel like she doesn't have like more experience than Emma Furman and would have done about the same amount as job. I, I feel like it was an unnecessary replacement for more quote-unquote eye candy and maybe drawn some younger viewers because Emma Furman doesn't look quite as youthful, in my opinion. I think that's kind of a shame because I, I do feel like Emma was very excited for the role before she learned about uh, not playing her anymore on Twitter in 2020. Yeah. Shameful. Absolutely yeah. shameful. All around, I just feel like there were just like some things that they wanted to do that they didn't get to do and they kind of like switched plans about halfway through production, I feel. All good thoughts. I um, saw this a month ago because of award show. I had to delay this podcast far past what we normally would for a new movie. For the first 20 minutes of this movie was completely convinced. Oh, my God, they've finally done it. They've made one of these things I don't like. Then right around the time Bill Murray leaves the movie and Jonathan Majors enters the movie, I get on board with it. But what really makes me get on board was like the many probabilities scene, uh, which ultimately ends with every version of Paul Rudd being unified in the goal of saving their daughter. That got me to choke up a little bit. I thought that was very moving. And uh, it was a great, um, <clears throat> dad's rock, baby, moment. Uh, 
Jonathan Majors, like everyone has been saying, though, is the absolute standout. Uh, it was uh, my favorite supporting performance in a year until Jonathan Majors was even better in Creed 3. Creed 3 is really <laughs> good, guys. I almost wish we were doing that instead. It's very fun at parts. The comedy, I think, really works. It's probably my second favorite Ant-Man movie. I still like the first one the most because of how uh, small scale it is. And that kind of brings into my biggest problem with this movie and the Marvel movies in general anymore. What happened to side characters that don't fucking have superpowers? Yeah. Every goddamn character in all of these fucking movies have to shoot webs and laser beams out of their anuses now. Why can't they just be normal people that help ground the story? There isn't anybody in this movie that doesn't have a gimmick. Everyone has a fucking gimmick in this movie. Nobody can just be fucking normal. Me in the fucking mental asylum? Why can't anyone be fucking normal? I mean, that's a good point. I think what Marvel's intention with that is, is they want to have the movies be these huge spectacles and all the street level stuff be stuck to the television shows. Which is fine, but even the spectacles, I think you need a semblance of humanity to help ground it. Or else, I mean... (laughs) The Incredibles actually put this bet when everybody's super, nobody is. (laughs) So true. Everybody's super in these things, and the effects are starting to diminish on me. I'm still ultimately the guy that I think will always be down for the MCU experience, but they have some really fundamental problems lately that they kind of need to fucking get a handle on, or else even I might fall off of the bandwagon. I'm not there yet, but even though I ultimately like this movie, even more than Thor Love and Thunder, this was the first movie that made me think, I might actually get sick of these one day, and I really don't want that to happen. Day may come when Tanner falls off the MCU bandwagon, but it is not this day. It is not this day. <laughs> I am not a dick. <laughs> well, what more do we think of Ant Man and the Wasp? Quantum Mania. Find out after the break. Wait, you have a suit? I know how to take care of myself. Okay, trust me. I'm pretty good at it by now. How about some music? I'll kidnap a thousand children before I let this company die. Hi, welcome back to throw that ad break for another ad. Whoop! Look at that. Color. Movie. Palette. That's right, you can get one of those of your own on moviepalette.com. Basically takes the primary cover of every frame in the movie, chops it up into the little bits, puts it on a little canvas board for you to order. So go ahead, add it to your card. Add seven to your card, but before you hit that order button, enter the code SQUAD15 to save 15% off your order. Trust me, it's worth it. And now back to the show. All right, we're getting into general discussion here, and I have a very important question. This movie starts, the cold open is with Jonathan Majors first entering the quantum while I'm meeting Michelle Pfeiffer. And it's talked about a few times in the movie. So my question is, when they were both in the quantum realm, do you think they fucked? Austin, you start. Yes. Joe. Why not? Sure. Yeah. Amelia. Oh, they absolutely did. As I feel like Michelle's Pfeiffer character is implied to have fucked many people in this moment. She definitely fucked Bill Murray, which mm-hmm. is a, I'm sorry for her. I'm sorry for her and for Hank. Like, what the heck? And they don't even address it. I I think Hank went with the, well, I thought you were dead. Well, hey, hey, Hank is not innocent. He went to dinner with a lady. That's true. And if we're talking (laughs) about comics, Hank, Yeah, Hank Pym is a dick in the comics. Michael Douglas does usually play him with a bit of edge, though, that has that dickiness from the comics in there a little bit. But I thought the edge was missing in this one. I think that comes with them trying to uh, relegate him to the back. He's the smallest portion of it as far as the main ant family. 
I think his character in this specifically can be summed up in one line of dialogue that he says in the movie. I like ants. <laughs> so he likes ants. What more do you need to say? And I love that you love ants. What was it? I was listening to an interview with Jeff Loveness. He did it over for like phase zero, I think. And he said a couple of funny things. For starters, when they were making the film, he lobbied for a scene with a giant ant played by Werner Herzog to give Scott a vision during the probability storm sequence. Apparently that was somewhat inspired by the Holy Mountain. That might have been neat. And then around the 37 minute mark of the interview, he's describing Modoc and says the character has a certain crestfallen George Costanza a rage, and I just thought that was really hilarious. George is getting upset! I feel bad trashing this dude's screenplay because he's he seems really personable in interviews, but... Uh, I don't. Considering in a recent interview he was like, when I first started reading the negative reviews, it made me really sad, and then I went, no, fuck you, Modoc's great! So, uh, I don't have great confidence in Avengers, the Kang dynasty that he's also writing. Modoc saves the day in that one, too. I didn't die, bitches! <laughs> if Avengers Secret Wars start- ends with, like, just fucking Modoc doing the snap, like Tony Stark <laughs> did in Endgame, it will be, by default, my favorite movie ever. Oh my god. Everything, everywhere, all at once will be dethroned if that happens. <laughs> At least I died in Avenger. Wouldn't that be like a billion dollar shit post at that point? If Kevin Feige ever did enough drugs to spend $300 million on an Avengers level shit post, he would forever have my undying respect. And then I would finally understand the comparison people say where he's a remnant producer of the old Hollywood system. Because boy, old Hollywood producers loved making massive shit posts while on so many drugs. <laughs> this is actually how Gone with the Wind was made. It started off as a joke that got out of hand. Hey, what if a kid fell off a horse? That would be nuts, right? <laughs> yeah, that's how, that was actually the pitch for God with the Wind. And Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, they had the same starting point. <laughs> you can see this when you see all those Confederate soldiers in the quantum realm. Oh my god. <laughs> so, man, Speaking oh man. of gangbang. Kang Gangbang. Yeah, let's get to the Kang Gangbang, a.k.a. the Council of Kangs. I wanted to bring this up because I want to tell, like, a story of my screening. Like, the entire time, it, it got to a point where the movie made me, like, a little delirious. I was kind of like, what the fuck is going on? But I kind of like how ridiculous this is getting. But then that first post credit scene comes up. There's three Jonathan Majors, and he's giving, like, all these weird little performances. And then it cuts to just this grand hall full of over-the-top acting Jonathan Majorses. And I'm just like, they did it. They brought the Council of Kangs to life. I am actually looking at this with my own two eyes. And then, like, as it was, like, kind of starting to wrap up, I just start laughing. And I just would not stop. The credits would keep going. I'm still laughing. I think I'm done. I still laughed. I am in awe and I am just delirious. And as I'm thinking about it again, I am starting to laugh. I am astonished that that was put in a movie and they expected us to take it seriously. It was beautiful. So, when it comes to the Council of Kangs, uh, do you guys think they ever explored each other's bodies? Most definitely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
I don't know why everything about this movie's sexual. Clone fucking is the standard. I think we're just thinking about Jonathan Majors in a sexual way, because he's been a part of both questions. Well, speaking of sexual, there's lines in, of dialogue in this that are oddly like sexual. They're they're like this talking. This is the horniest MCU movie since the first Iron Man. Why? Because yeah, they, of holes, guy. Basically, drink the ooze. They're talking about people's holes. It's very bizarre. It definitely feels like a Rick and Morty writer wrote that, and I mean that in a derogatory way. So I have a I have a relatively serious question. Where do you think Kang found all of those soldiers in that were humanoid? Expelled from their own universes down into the quantum realm, maybe? My personal belief is he has to have cloning technology. He's gotta, because there is no way that he had an almost endless army of humanoids down there in the quantum realm where almost every creature we saw did not look human. There were about, you know, maybe 10 humans that we saw down there that look like they're humans. I thought it was just robots, to be honest. I didn't, I didn't think too much of it. I was waiting yeah. for someone to break that face shield open. The whole time. So what do you guys think of the fact that they shot the ending a month before it came out? Yeah, Stupid. there were reshoots on this movie in the beginning of January 2023. We've even got pictures from those things. They even fucked them up because, like, Hope has a different hairstyle in the last scene of the movie. <laughs> and so does Catherine Newton. Oh, no. Apparently, mm -hmm. the original ending leaked in October last year, and it revealed that Ant-Man and the Wasp got stuck in the quantum realm and Kang managed to escape. The original post credit scene was Cassie running simulations trying to figure out how to get her parents back, getting all wide-eyed when something crazy popped up on the screen and then it would get cut to black would this have been a better ending yes yes 100 percent. it's what i what i hoped for it, it would have helped differentiate it from phase four but at the same time isn't that just the ending of the last one again stuck in the quantum realm i mean it is the end of the last one but i think it's a different feeling from the ending of the last one you know thematically in this case he's passing the torch instead of being stranded, you know? He's letting yeah. Cassie take up the mantle of Ant-Man or Wasp or wh whatever her name is. I forget Ant what her. Yeah, I forget what her specific hero name is in the comics, but uh, he's, he's accepted his role as the hero here is to be sacrificing rather than being stranded in an unfamiliar territory, right? And if he stays with Wasp, it's a little bit different. I felt more hopeful. I honestly think the, the actual reason they changed the ending was less because stuck in the quantum realm again and more like uh, the Marvel writers and Kevin Feige's creative team didn't want to have to deal with Kang being loose for the next like five movies and just wanted to basically punt that problem off to the future because I don't think he died. Yeah. I think what happened is that he's getting sucked into that thing. He's being absorbed with quantum powers and then he's going to become the Beyonder for Secret Wars. That's just my prediction. That's what I'm thinking is going to happen. Wait a second. You go on Marvel spoilers subreddit. Is that true? No, I'm coming up with this. I think if they're going to do Secret Wars, they're going to adapt the Beyonder. And since they're focusing so much on Kang, I think they're going to make the Beyonder a Kang variant. More specifically, this Kang. You know, fair. I could see them doing that. I don't think it's what they're doing, but I could see them doing that. My personal belief is Secret Wars won't even involve the Beyonder. Marvel has kind of tried to stay away from cosmic entities involving their, like, street level and, like, normal Avengers here level heroes. They wanted to like separate the two and they've, they've spoken publicly about that several times. And I feel like the Beyonder is too much of a cosmic entity for them to address that. Yeah. But they did fucking eternity and love and thunder. So anything's possible forever as far as I'm concerned. That's true. Honestly, the biggest fear that I have for that is they're just going to do doom. 
it, it's going to be Doom for Secret Wars. Mm-hmm. No, you can't do Doom this soon. I, I don't think they're that dumb. So Bill Murray's in this movie. Yep, and uh, moving on because that's about as interesting a thing you can say about it. Here's the most interesting thing for me, though. It's the most he's given a shit about a performance in, like, what, 20 years? Of all fucking movies, Ant-Man and the Wasp is the one where he's trying. From what I understand, it's not just that he's wanted to at least try doing a Marvel movie. He specifically wanted to do a movie with Peyton Reed because of Peyton Reed's cheerleader movie. Bring it on? Apparently Bill Murray is a giant bring it on fan. I mean, that makes sense. Bring it on rules. I mean, yeah, I get it. (laughs) I get it. I just wouldn't expect it. Yeah. I was going to bring up Evangeline Lilly, but is that even worth it? <laughs> it is very funny how much uh, And the Wasp feels like an afterthought in this one. Mm-hmm. Like when she shows up to save the day at the end, I was like, oh, yeah, she's here. I forgot you were in this movie. Michelle Pfeiffer feels like a bigger character than Evangeline Lilly. To be fair, she is the original Wasp. Yeah, correct. It's almost like Disney wants to avoid the more controversial actor in the cast. So she's anti-vax. Yeah, she's like hardcore anti-vax. Unlike and unlike Lietta Wright hasn't apologized for it. Okay, so that's why Evangeline Lilly was barely in the movie. Got it. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Now that we're in a dour mood, who's ready for trivia? I I am. I love trivia. All right, here we go. Bum, 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 Tanner's small trivia corner. So here's the first fact for you. Uh, this might explain <laughs> a lot of things for, uh, wrong with this movie. This is the first Ant-Man movie not to be co-written by Paul Rudd. Oh, that was the spark. That was the magic. Yeah, maybe that was part of the problem the whole time. It's like when Simon Pegg and Nick Frost stopped writing together or something. Jeff Loveness specifically uh, cites Kevin Klein's portrayal of Otto from A Fish Called Wanda and Frank Grimes from Homer's Enemy, the Simpsons episode, as influences on MODOK. I do really like Homer's Enemy. Frank is a wonderful character. I definitely see the influence there in MODOK. I I think that MODOK being the most fun and interesting part of the film from a uh, protagonist versus antagonist standpoint is a testament to that as an inspiration. So there have been many attempts to incorporate MODOK into a live action film or TV series before he made his debut in this film. As recently as 1997, Jeff Vintar and Stan Lee actually wrote a script for an Iron Man movie for 20th Century Fox. Really? Uh, Back when 20th Century Fox had the Iron Man film rights that featured MODOK as the villain. But uh, that script was eventually reworked by other writers and then never came into fruition anyway. After that, Christopher Marcus and uh, actually wanted MODOK to appear in Captain America the Winter Soldier with uh, Peter Dinklage being eyed to play him. Uh, But Marvel rejected this idea in favor of Alexander Pierce, the Robert Redford character. Uh, To which my question is, what the fuck were they doing with MODOK that he could have been easily replaced by Robert Redford? <laughs> it, it's, it's just like when they made the Mandarin Guy Pierce or whatever. It was yeah. just some human with the name Modok. None of the characteristics of Modok. It was like mm. some Wizard of Oz shit where it's like he was just a puppet being controlled by some guy behind a keyboard or some shit. <laughs> it still looks like Modok. Runs on strings. In television, there were plans for Anton Ivanov, played by Zach McGowan, to become MODOK in the fifth season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but Marvel apparently told them they weren't allowed to do that. <laughs> and finally, in the canceled TV show New Warriors, Keith David was supposed to play MODOK, apparently. MODOK with an <laughs> insurance salesman voice. 
Because fuck it. The, the, the smoothest sounding uh, Modoc ever. My God. There was uh, early drafts of this movie. It may have been the script. It may have even been shot. Where Hope had a child of her own in this movie, but it was ultimately removed, and now there's no indication of her having any kids in this movie, uh, which is a good call. Because my question, it would have been immediately, where were the kids in the first two movies? They were at camp. Summer camp. Or if it was like a newborn, why wasn't that a huge deal for Scott? <laughs> Davis Dosmalchian, who plays a character in the first two movies, returns in this movie to play the goo guy. Mr. Holes. I love Dosmalchian, so that's good. It's a neat, nuanced take on the Kool-Aid man. This is Bill Murray's third comic book role. What were his other two? Wait, what? So one of those three is when he played Garfield. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> that it counts. And apparently in a 1975 radio show that adapts the early issues of the Fantastic Four, he plays the Human Torch. Wow. <laughs> what? Barely getting by with these. Holy shit. In a radio serial. I feel bad for whatever IMDB trivia contributor had to, like, dig up that <laughs> stuff. Hey, look. What's that in the sky? That's my cue. Flame on. Hey, Johnny. Remember me saying there's only one thing I like better than working on cars? Well, this is it. Jonathan Majors bases his performance off of the villain of Othello. That rings so true. The student's doing Shakespeare, everybody else is doing lowbrow PG-13 garbage. Okay, this is the last piece of trivia I have because IMDb isn't giving me shit to work with. <laughs> but on February 1st, 2021, the Minister of Culture in Turkey accidentally leaked that the movie had started production because he made an announcement on behalf of the country saying that Ant-Man was shooting there. Apparently that wasn't supposed to be known yet. So the, the Minister of Culture in Turkey leaked that. There's that for you. Wow, you can't even reprimand that guy. Like, what do you do? It's the Minister of Culture. Just bring up the Armenian genocide and he'll get really angry. Alright, who's ready for final thoughts? Austin, we'll start with you. The difference between my expectations for a $200 million trilogy ending sci-fi movie that kicks off a new wave of blockbusters and what I got with Quantumania is best illustrated by like watching a Red Lobster commercial and then receiving a McChicken somebody stepped on. <laughs> the VFX work is impressive looking, Kang is good, but most of this is well beneath what Marvel is capable of if they could just get a good grip on the steering wheel again. Joe, go. Movie, uh... You gave it five stars on Letterboxd. Just let that be known. <laughs> I, okay, no, I, ga I gave it five stars for the goddamn, like, lunacy that was that post credit scene. The Kang Gang Bang. That, overall, that whole movie is, like, barely a three-star film. So, movie, eh. But it is your favorite Ant-Man movie, it seems like. Honestly, I don't think it's even my favorite Ant-Man movie. Are you telling me I finally made you come around to the first two? I think you might have. I think, okay, Tanner has won that battle. I knew I could. <laughs> it was a five plus year campaign to make his ass turn around on Ant-Man, but I did it. Congratulations. You want to know what you get? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Emilio, what are your final thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? 
I think that there were some very nice parts of the movie. I liked how it returned to a lot of references of the original Ant-Man, like the, the design on the costume, having Michael Douglas be the Ant-Man who saves the day, that kind of stuff. But overall, it just felt like the screenplay was a mess that they went back and forth on multiple ideas on, and it led to a disappointment similar to every Game Freak release in the last decade. All right, my final thoughts, hello. Ants! Ants! <laughs> Ant-Man! It's okay. But uh, you want to know who uh, who else has ants in their pants? Who? You! <laughs> <laughs> the person watching slash listening. This is the most bullshit episode we've recorded in a while. <laughs> the person watching slash listening to this episode of Bob Swat Movie Night. I apologize. Uh, if you are listening to any of the audio platforms we're on, thank you so very much for listening. Leave a review. Or do a Kang gangbang. I don't give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> if you're watching on Spotify video, Austin's going to put hardcore gay porn on this frame. So I hope you really enjoy that. Cheers. Uh, and if you're watching on Spotify, I don't know what the fuck is up with this shit, man. If you're watching on Spotify video, uh, mosey.org Patreon, give us money. And uh, we'll actually have reward tiers soon, I swear. And if you're watching on YouTube, thank you also very much for watching this episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night. Leave a comment below, let me know. What do you think of Ant-Man 3? Do you think Marvel movies good still? Do you think there's hope for the franchise? Will my wife ever love me again? Comment below and let me know. And while you're down there, hit the like button so we know how much you like us. Hit the subscribe button so we know how much you love us. And hit the bell icon so you know exactly when we upload new videos. Tune in next week when we uh, do a Ethan-hosted episode on the movie Galaxy Express 999. Don't know shit about that one, but it's going to be fun, I think. Tune in then. We'll see you next time. Bye. My name is Joseph Rennick and I am not a dick. A guy dressed like a bee tried to kill me in my room when I was six.